specific information accumulated over time develops knowledge. And knowledge, when placed into a specific context, a specific situation, gives you understanding. This is the Freestyle Way. All right, my friends, welcome back to the Freestyle Way podcast. Today, I am running this episode solo as I didn't have a guest. And uh, I'm not going to lie, anytime I am doing a solo podcast, I get a little nervous. This room is empty and I'm just uh, speaking to a camera and this software that I use is giving me like a countdown, five, four, three, two. And I'm just like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> but anyways, in today's podcast, I want to tell you a little story and then follow up with some like heavy hitting practical things that you can use to improve your life, improve your performance. And it's based on just a lifetime of coaching and me learning from other coaches on how to implement these these practices and why maybe it could interest you if you are a coach, a teacher, an instructor, a trainer, or a leader in an organization or within a community. And the story goes back to November 6th of 2019. That was the day that I did my last movement seminar. I, I chose that day to retire. And that uh, was prefaced with me waking up one day after a trip with this insane ringing in my left ear, tinnitus, tinnitus, and uh, going to a doctor, uh, going to check my, my hearing, uh, trying to uh, talk to every expert out there who knew something about the experience that I was having and being able to potentially heal it and uh, finding no results to the point where I was just going completely nuts. And uh, after a month of having this ringing constantly going in my ear and me not being able to focus on anything other than that ringing, having a complete meltdown and panic attack when I was uh, sitting in my hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia the night before a seminar. And thankfully that night I decided to sit down and meditate and for whatever reason I was able to crack through this ringing that I had in my ear and for the first time within a month I felt a sense of relief. And the next day I did my seminar, it went pretty well, I flew back home, I was hoping this thing would go away, it didn't, but I knew that through meditation I had experienced some relief, so I continued to meditate. And although I had meditated for several years, uh, in the past I had only meditated as a way of relieving some sort of pain. It was kind of like a band-aid. It was just something to uh, get me over the hurdle at that point in time. But after this incident in Atlanta and really feeling the difference that it made when I stopped freaking out about this tinnitus, I just continued to practice every day. And one day I was out having lunch with my wife and uh, I was in the bathroom just washing my hands and I realized that I didn't want to continue doing what I was doing anymore. And what I was doing was I was traveling all around the world teaching these movement seminars, which were, I would say, relatively successful. They were selling, a lot of people were coming, uh, people were getting, uh, great use out of the the seminars and I was on a roll 
I just didn't want to keep doing it. In addition to that, I also had a team of people that I was working and a group of coaches that I was mentoring and building up and trying to build my organization. And I just decided right there to tell my wife that I think I want to quit. And she looked at me and she said, if you want to quit, quit. Just leave. So that's what I did. I quit doing seminars. I closed my businesses that I had around these uh, seminars and the education program that I was building with Freestyle. And I retired. And after retiring, I knew that it wasn't a forever retirement. I needed to do something. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to focus on lifestyle. And previously, um, before this 2019 incident, in 2017 precisely, I started teaching this little workshop and started doing one-on-one coaching around this concept that I called lifestyle design. And the reason I was doing it was because in my coaching practices, what it really came down to was assisting people in having a lifestyle that was conducive for their growth. So I thought to myself, okay, if I'm retiring from doing these movement seminars and teaching physical practices specifically, I would like to do this lifestyle design thing and maybe I can explore it and take it to a new level. Who knows where it's going to take me? So that's what I did. And I set out to uh, book myself out again to do these new seminars, this new expression of myself. And this was all lined up for 2020. And my first stop was in China, of all places. And as you can imagine, around December, I get an email saying the seminar is not really selling at this moment. Towards the end of December, I got another email saying that there was some kind of health scare happening locally. So that may be the cause of the seminar not selling. And then in January, I got the message saying that there's a virus out there and uh, we have to cancel. So we canceled the seminar. And uh, that was okay because I had another stop programmed. And the second stop was in Singapore. And I managed to get out to Singapore. I did my little workshop. And when I showed up at this workshop slash seminar, it was a a sparse uh, group of people. They were all kind of spread out. And uh, a few people were wearing masks. So I thought, wow, maybe this virus is a bigger deal than I thought. But I didn't think too much of it because in 2002 and 2003, I had been in Singapore. And that's when SARS-CoV-1 was uh, breaking out. And... um, I was there for months and they seemed to have protocols in place and everything was okay. Everything kind of worked out. So I wasn't too worried about this one. And uh, little did I know that uh, as I got on the plane to come back to the U.S. that I would land and within two weeks we would be ordered to shelter in place. And what I thought were two weeks of uh, taking it easy at home became a few months, and it led me to have to cancel all the seminars that I had booked out for 2020 and having to refund everybody, and then trying to pivot and switch gears as fast as I could 
to run these sessions online. And um, I failed miserably. I was unable to convert that which I was doing in person to online. It simply didn't work. So between, I would say, April and October, I did nothing but study, train, prepare, think, uh, meditate a lot, uh, and pondered on how I was going to proceed because it felt like this was a never-ending thing. The pandemic just felt like it would never come to uh, a conclusion or something that um, brought us back to normal. But then one day I was out in um, Muir Woods, just out here in the Bay Area, and uh, taking a walk. And it hit me that what I wanted to do was instead of these one-off seminars, one-day seminars, I wanted to do a deep dive with people and maybe run something that was a little bit longer, something that lasted at least a month. And the reason I thought about a month was because of this idea of building habits and those habits taking some time and at a minimum dedicating 21 days to making that happen. So I decided I would create a seminar, a course, a workshop around this. And that was when the interface was born. And the interface was a four-week session dedicated to assisting people in learning how to be in relationship with themselves, to communicate with themselves in a different way so that they could express themselves at a higher level. And the gist of it was helping people go from this reflexive behavior, this reactive behavior, just doing things through their current conditioning and their programming to becoming more deliberate, meaning acting out of choice, out of something that is out of their conscious awareness and doing this with the intention of producing new results, different results, furthermore, desired, re de desired results. And once having these desired results, this evidence, being able to see what the habits were, train them, stress test them until they became reflexive again, until they became innate, intuitive. And with that, allowing people to uh, have elevated themselves to new levels of performance. In other words, becoming more effective, more efficient in producing the results that they were seeking. So I announced this uh, interface workshop and I got a lot of interest. And for the first time in six months or so, I uh, was back to teaching the thing that I had set out to teach back in 2019 when I wanted to shift gears. And I was doing it online, something that I failed to do in the early stages of the pandemic. And I did this interface thing. It worked out really well. And that's what I wanted to share with you today, what the interface is and how just through this podcast, hopefully you can um, take the information and translate it into uh, producing new results for yourself. And although this is something that requires more than just an hour podcast or whatever uh, time it takes me to record this, I believe that the information I'm going to share with you is going to be uh, thorough and good enough that you'll be able to utilize it in a meaningful way. So how does the interface work? Well, 
the interface, as the title uh, says, it's all about learning to interface with yourself. So it's learning to communicate with yourself. And to do this with the intention of producing a new degree of awareness and that allowing you to create new ways of expressing yourself. And the interface specifically is based around this idea of developing emotional fitness. And emotional fitness is applied emotional intelligence. And emotional fitness, as defined by myself, is one's ability to move into a state of being that translates into purposeful action. It's a mouthful, but let's break it down for a second. So it's the ability, meaning a skill, to move, to change, to mobilize, to adapt into a state of being, meaning a place where you're thinking, feeling, and acting that is in alignment with a purpose, meaning that you're moving with intention, deliberately, consciously, and that being the essence of emotional fitness. And why should we care about emotional fitness? Well, we should care about emotional fitness because we are emotional beings. Yes, a lot of us believe that we are homo sapiens and completely logical, but we are heavily influenced by our emotions. In fact, I recommend and encourage every single person out there to read uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How Emotions Are Made, which is a book that talks about emotions and how our emotions are the lens through which we look at the world and um, are a key to understanding human behavior. And anyways, when we become aware of how we are emotionally, we can utilize these emotions to produce better results. And one of the things that I heard growing up as a gymnast was that in order to perform at the highest level, you couldn't succumb to your emotions. You couldn't uh, allow your emotions to take over. And this, although it remains true for me today, it's missing something. And what it's missing, it's uh, learning to actually work with one's emotions. It's not about suppressing them. It's not about putting them in some kind of bucket or compartmentalizing them. It's about leveraging them. It's about utilizing the emotion like a wave. Uh, anybody who's out here listening or watching this right now, uh, you know that emotions come on like a wave. It feels like, whoa, wh where did that come from? Why am I feeling this? What's going on? It feels like a wave. That surge of energy, whether it's up or down, because you could be uh, becoming more aroused or becoming uh, more relaxed, that's a wave. And that wave can be utilized if we understand what it is and we know what we want to do with it. And when we become aware of our emotional waves, how emotions come on, uh, we can translate them into higher degrees of performance. And that's what this whole idea of emotional fitness is. And it's what's uh, behind this idea of learning to interface with yourself. Now, specifically for the interface, I go through four different stages. And the four stages are expression, experimentation, integration, and transcendence. So expression is just doing. Experimentation is doing by choice. Very different. Expression is when you just allow yourself to do whatever is coming up for yourself. But the ex experimentation is testing different types of expression with 
a, a clear intention. It's being purposeful in your action. And then the integration is learning what you are receiving from that deliberate expression in a way that is um, showing you a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking. And this being extremely powerful when it comes to one's development. And then once you've done the experimentation, beginning to integrate these lessons in a way that they become part of your conditioning, part of your programming. And this allowing you to move back to that reflexive state that I was alluding to earlier and thus transcend, move on into a greater level of expression, performance, and thus coming back to where you started, just expressing yourself. So these four stages, although they may seem circular where you go expression, experimentation, integration, and transcendence, they are really a spiral staircase that you are climbing up over and over and over. And this iterative process is what the interface is all about, which is self-mastery and communicating with yourself. It's the constant return to uh, exploring who you are in relationship to what you do. So those are the four uh, phases or stages that uh, we go through. And what I encourage anybody listening to this right now is to think about how you are currently learning, how you're currently thinking about the work that you do, whether it's in uh, fitness or in your professional work or in your um, uh, relationship with others. How are you behaving? Are you currently just expressing yourself without thinking? Are you trying new things? Are you experimenting? Are you noticing the feedback that you're getting and the lessons that are coming with that? And then are you integrating those lessons in a way that sets you free and allows you to continue to express yourself? This is simply an exercise on awareness. Now, in addition to these four phases or stages of development that we go through within the interface, there are four practices that I encourage every single one of the people that I guide through the interface process, which is meditation and breath work, journaling, moving, so physically moving their body, and then finally creating. And why are these four practices the key to having a good and productive interface experience? Well, the reason is because in meditation, which is the act of simply reflecting, you begin to notice. You begin to notice what is in your awareness. In other words, it allows you to see the edges of your current expression and understanding of the world. It's that simple. And you start by noticing what's happening with your body, then what's happening in your mind, and then the combination of those, then the relationship to your inner game, to the outer game. And then you realize that just through the act of reflection, they move past that those concepts, those feelings, they start to move past. It's just kind of like clouds in the sky. A lot of uh, meditation uh, teachers um, the, uh, use as like an analogy. And you realize that uh, in many ways you are in control of um, 
who you are in relationship to who you think you are. And this is very powerful because this means that you can uh, manipulate, uh, you can control, you can influence how you feel. This means that you can move into new states of being. And why breath work is so important when it comes to meditation is because through our breath, we can control our autonomic system. This uh, is jargon now, but basically what this means is that through our breath, something that we can uh, control how fast we, we breathe, um, uh, in, in what manner we breathe, whether it's through our nose or through our mouth, we can actually change our physiology. And a, a very simple example of this is when you alter the rate of breath or breathing, um, you also alter your physiology. You can get into a more aroused state, a more activated state, or a more relaxed or deactivated state. If you slow your breath down, clearly you're going to relax. If you speed your breath up, you're going to get activated. Furthermore, you can get even more uh, specific with it where if you extend your exhale versus your, uh, sorry, if you extend your inhale versus your exhale, you can uh, speed up your heart rate and thus become more activated, more awake, more aroused. If you extend your exhale versus your inhale, you can start to relax. Uh, becoming more aroused is what uh, people call upregulating, and uh, becoming more relaxed uh, is what people call downregulating. So depending on what you want to do, uh, you can choose to access your breath to uh, access a new state of being, a new physiological state, and that physiological state influences uh, influencing your uh, state of mind. So when you're meditating, uh, you're not only reflecting, you're not only allowing yourself to observe who you are, you can also change who you are and change that state of being by accessing the breath. And why is the breath so interesting? Well, the breath is interesting because it's um, a subtle movement. Uh, it doesn't require your whole body to move. It's just this part right here, this container that is your core. And um, that influencing all other aspects of your physical self, your mental self, and your conscious self. Now, the second practice here is journaling. And in journaling, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring what's in our mind and put it onto paper. And the act of bringing what is in our mind and putting it onto paper or writing it out is the process of funneling, curating, analyzing that which we are thinking. And why is this important? Well, because the thought process that we go through on a daily basis, thinking is very complex. It's very abstract. It feels uh, elusive and um, uh, elusive. It, it escapes us in many ways, and it comes from a place of imagination. And when we can funnel it through the act of writing, the act of journaling, what we're doing is we're choosing to look at those ideas from a certain perspective. 
And what this does is it gives us specific information. And why is this specific information so important? Well, because specific information accumulated over time develops knowledge. And knowledge, when placed into a specific context, a specific situation, gives you understanding. So this is extremely important in the process of learning to interface with ourselves. When we are journaling, we are pulling the ideas that we have in our head and we're trying to bring them into this very um, beautiful package, which we call uh, a sentence. And that sentence being a written thought. And that written thought being something that we can observe as the writers and those who choose to read it can see as well. Thus, it's the first step to allowing our inner world to connect with our outer world. And this is extremely powerful. And in journaling specifically, one of the things that I um, encourage people to do first and foremost is go through an exercise that is influenced by the Japanese art of purpose or the reason for being. It's called Ikigai. And this is something that has become very popular now on TikTok. So if you're on TikTok, you've probably seen somebody talking about Ikigai. And how does this go? Well, Ikigai is based around this idea of exploring all that which you love, all that which you're good at, all that which you do in exchange for value, and all that which you believe the world needs more of. And I realize that I'm going pretty fast here, but maybe you have to slow this down and uh, go back and... Uh, play it again so you can take notes. But I want to get through this so that you feel like you're getting all the information that you need. Now, how I specifically do this with people is that on day one of journaling, I just say, I want you to allow yourself to just write about everything that you love. And I mean everything at every level of your life. This can be hanging out with friends. This can be drinking coffee. This can be playing music. This can be listening to podcasts. It can be reading books, whatever it may be. Just write about all that which you love. And for a lot of people, writing about all that which they love can take a long time. So it may be more than one day of journaling. It can be even a week of journaling. But I encourage people to at least dedicate 10 to 20 minutes on just allowing stream of consciousness to just come out and uh, express that which they love. Once they've done that, the second step is now uh, writing and journaling about all that which they consider themselves good at, competent at, that which they feel like is a skill set that they have, whether it's um, something that they've developed naturally or something that they have uh, developed through work or schooling or whatever it may be, but just allowing themselves to write. And at this level of journaling, something very interesting happens, which is people start to wrestle with an identity. This is the first time you really start to uh, wrestle with this idea of whether that which you think you are and do really is that. And this is actually the root of uh, people starting to self-sabotage and uh, do things that are not conducive for their growth. But this is the chance to kind of break through that and really just take ownership of the things that you are actually skilled at, that you do well. And one of the exercises that I like to do with people is that when they start to experience some dissonance, meaning that 
they're not really sure whether they're really good at this and if they're making it up or not to ask their friends and family, people that they really care and care about and really trust, and to have them tell them what they're skilled at and what they're good at. And when they are told to write that down, to allow themselves to put it down in writing. So that's the second phase of their journaling practice. And then um, when they've gone through that, that phase, then they go into uh, journaling and writing about that which they do in exchange for value. And a lot of times the best way to start this is to start with the obvious, which uh, usually has to do with money. It's writing about all that which you do in exchange for money. What does your work look like? And then once you've kind of covered that, then you can start to see value in other ways in your life. And this can be how you um, exchange your time and energy, your skill sets, how you provide or exchange resources. And when you've done that, you start to become aware of how your skill sets, that which you're good at, translates into making an impact that gives you something, that provides something for you. And that exchange, becoming aware of that exchange, is something that uh, allows you to root your thinking and your deliberate practice and your awareness into everything else that you do, uh, whether it's something that you love or something that you're doing uh, as purely a means to an end. And we can dive into what that means more in this podcast or maybe a future one. Anyways, when you've finally gone through the journaling of exploring all that which you uh, do in exchange for value, then it comes down to exploring all that which you do uh, sorry, it, it comes down to exploring all that which you believe the world needs more of. And this is where you, you get to think a little bigger and you, you are um, encouraged to think about the world a little bit more, to think about uh, our uh, collective uh, relationship on this planet. And sometimes this is um, challenging for people because they may feel kind of insignificant at that level of uh, awareness. They may feel like, well, I'm just a, a dude trying to figure it out. What, what do I know what the need that what the world needs more of? How, how can I uh, have any idea what that is? And this is where uh, when people run into this uh, moment of just feeling like, who am I to say what the world needs more of? I encourage them to explore what they need more of. What is it that you need more of? And when they start to explore what they need more of, they start to realize that that is also influenced by their circle, by their communities, by their culture, by their countries, by that which they hear in the media, by that which um, they hear or see when scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or whatever it may be. And in that moment, realizing that that which the world needs more of is simply a mirror to that which you need more of. And when you realize that that which you need more of is that which others need more of, all of a sudden you get this sense of connection. And the sense of connection is you being able to finally notice how your inner game, your inner world has 
huge influence and vice versa on your outer world. And regardless of your um, magnitude of awareness, the amount of awareness you have, that little bit of awareness translates into new ways of expressing yourself and that new way of expressing yourself making one degree of difference. And even though that 1%, that one degree, that one point uh, of difference um, may seem small, over time, it becomes something huge. And this is where I, I like to share this idea that comes from navigation, which is the 1 over 60 rule, which says that for every degree that you're off course after 60 miles traveled, you will be one mile off course. Thus, it's really important in our practices, in our um, ways of thinking about how we're expressing ourselves in the world to try to get on course towards that which we care about the most to that which we're trying to achieve to get on course by one degree every day. And this is kind of like what a lot of coaches like to say, 1% better. Eventually, you're going to be at 100% or trending towards 100%. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in that state where you're moving towards that which you want to achieve. And this is where now in the process of journaling around Ikigai, you're coming full circle. You started with that which you love. You went through that which you do and uh, which uh, you went into that which um, you're skilled at or talented in. And uh, then you went into that which you do in exchange for value. Then you go into that which you believe the world needs more of. And then you come back to the uh, the place where you started, which is that which you love. And this is kind of like a Venn diagram that when you see the overlap between that which you love, that which you're good at, that which you do in exchange for value, and that which you believe the world needs more of, you realize that the overlap between that which you love and that which you're good at is usually your passion. The overlap between that which you're good at and that which you do in exchange for value usually represents your profession. That which you do in exchange for value and that which you believe the world needs more of that represents your vocation. And there's a difference here between profession and vocation. A profession is that which you do mechanically to provide an exchange of value. That which is your vocation is not only the value exchange that occurs, but it's the impact that value exchange creates. It's that which overflows and goes beyond the mechanism or the transaction of one's profession. But then there's one thing missing here that you don't uh, notice when you're journaling about all these different things, which is that there's an overlap between that which you believe the world needs more of and that which you love. And that overlap right there is your mission. And this is where it gets really exciting because your mission is the, the one thing, the one liner that cuts through everything that you are and everything that you do. And this is where in the interface experience, I encourage people to write out their mission statement. And uh, to write out this mission statement, people can write it however they want. But I like to use uh, five different questions that help people access their mission statement. And the questions are the following. They are, who are you? Or at least who do you think you are? What do you do? Who do you do it for? What do they need? And when they get their needs met, what impact do you make? So those are the five questions. 
when you can answer those five questions, you'll notice that you'll have a fair amount of words on your piece of paper. The goal is to curate that into one simple uh, line or sentence that you can relate to. And when you can do that, you will have a mission. And that mission is something that you can always come back to. It actually becomes the baseline of uh, what you do, which means that regardless of what state of evolution you're in, what state of adaptation you're in, whatever you may be experiencing on a daily basis, you can always return to what is my mission and then operating through that mission. And being able to do that, giving you a level of consistency that is going to guarantee you to produce results and to create from a place of um, uh, cohesiveness, coherence with who you are because it embodies those things that uh, make you who you are, which is that what you love, that what you are good at, that what you do in exchange for value. And now something that's interesting here is that when you look at your passion, your profession, and your vocation, those three elements are like the three legs of a tripod that when they are taken care of and they are at the same length, they provide a very stable platform. And this very stable platform is where you can place your mission at the top and that mission becoming the lens, that mission becoming the direction. And that is something that you get to explore through journaling um, and that improves the way that you interface with yourself, thus how you interface with the world. Now, the journaling doesn't end there. The next step for the journaling involves going back to your mission statement and in your mission statement, allowing yourself to break it down into the smallest parts and then building it back up again. And what does this look like? Well, it's taking every single word of that mission statement and trying to articulate what that word means to you. So if your mission statement is to uh, cure cancer, you want to go through each word. Cure. What is cure? Okay, cure means that I want to heal. I want to um, remove something. I want to uh, bring wholeness, health to somebody. You, you just allow yourself to write about that. And then what is cancer? Cancer is the uh, byproduct of something. Okay, what is that something? Maybe it's a lifestyle, it's a behavior, it's an interaction with a substance. Um, you, you really start to break it down and you start to analyze it. And then you come back to building it back into the original mission statement. And what you notice by going through this process of breaking down what each word of that sentence says, or means to you rather, you... Uh, get a new understanding for your mission. And a lot of times what ends up happening is that you uh, start to rewrite or polish that mission statement. And this is something that you can do over and over and over again. This is a, an iterative practice that never ends. But um, I suggest you do it at least once. And this is what in uh, like writing uh, is called the hermeneutic circle where you take a body or a piece of text you break it down, you synthesize it, and then you you kind of analyze, and then you bring it back up to the piece of text, and now you have a better understanding of it. So that's what I encourage people to do with the mission statement, to go through the hermeneutic circle. 
And then eventually I move on to uh, being able to journal from a place of not only just uh, allowing a stream of consciousness to come out on a daily basis, but to journal from a place where you're observing what your stream of consciousness is and then choosing to become the parts that you actually care about and that serve you and then dismiss the ones that don't. What does this mean? This in um, the most concise way that I can possibly explain it is doing the following. It's saying every morning when I wake up, I'm going to journal and I'm just going to for 10 minutes, have a stream of consciousness, see what comes out and just let it be there. And then eventually, once you're in the habit of doing that, which does a few things for you. One, it allows you to become aware of what you're thinking, but it also allows you to clear your mind. It's kind of like you get to empty your mind and uh, close what I call the mental tabs. And that clarity giving you new space to have new thoughts. Regardless, when you become uh, uh, somebody who journals on a daily basis, now you can translate that journaling into a new way of uh, thinking about your journaling, which is you uh, journal, and then the day after, you read what you wrote, and then you uh, remove the things that don't serve you. Let's say you have some like scarcity thinking or some limiting belief that you're noticing is kind of coming up. You just scratch that over and you say, nope, I don't need this anymore. This is not part of my conditioning. It's not part of my thinking. It's something that I'm going to erase. And doing this practice in a physical form, which is like scratching it out, like really just saying, I don't want this anymore. Or you just using white X or just delete, 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 backspace, backspace, backspace um, is something really powerful. Because as you're doing it on the paper, it is translating it. It's being translated. I can't speak now. It's being translated into your brain and being recorded as something that, oh, I no longer need. You just deleted it. And then once you've done this a few times, you start to realize that your thinking is actually pretty simple. And that which is making noise is your emotional state of being. It's that which uh, you are feeling. And this is when now we can take uh, journaling to uh, a new level. And that's something that um, I will discuss in a, in a future uh, podcast. But the, the last uh, practical thing about journaling is that once you have the habit of journaling, it's good to couple journaling with reading. And what I encourage everybody to do is to read at least one page or two or read uh, something of substance and then take five minutes to write about what you read and to arrive at your own conclusion about that information that you just consumed. This is what allows you to process information in new ways. And being able to process information in new ways is extremely valuable. So that's the journaling part of uh, the practices. Then moving on to the movement part of practices. In the movement uh, part of the interface, I encourage every single person to have the... Um, uh, space on a daily basis where they dedicate time on their calendar to learn a new skill. And this can be uh, anything from running to jumping rope to juggling to standing on their hands. 
and to simply practice standing on their hands, to simply practice jumping rope with no intention of doing other anything other than practicing. Now, this may sound like you're not being intentional, which is the whole purpose of interfacing with oneself. But what it is, is just allowing yourself to be a beginner and to be a student again. And what you notice is that as you begin to practice, you're just expressing yourself. You're just trying something. You naturally default to the four stages of development that I shared earlier on, which were expression, experimentation, integration, and transcendence. In other words, what ends up happening is that when people start to practice a new skill, at first they just express themselves. Then they start to find ways that uh, the skill works for them. And then they start to experiment with those new ways of exploring or expressing themselves. And then all of a sudden they unlock a new movement pattern. They access new abilities. And then they start to integrate that information. And then through that integration, eventually with practice, it becomes a habit. It becomes part of who they are. And then they transcend and they can do the practice without thinking. And this is something that is very empowering to do with something like a movement practice, something that uh, may look like juggling, like I said, or standing on your hands, or even uh, trying to um, uh, work on running uh, more effectively, more efficiently, or pain-free. As it translates into all other aspects of one's life. And the reason um, this deliberate practice when it comes to the physical expression is so powerful is because moving the body moves your physiology, moves the chemistry of your body, and thus influences the way that you think. And when you influence the way that you think, you naturally influence the way that you feel and naturally influence the way that you continue to express yourself. And this is where... Uh, the transformative power of fitness comes into play. And anybody who's listening, who has followed me for a while, you know that I've been uh, in the fitness or movement space for a long time. And I've talked about this in different ways, but now really leaning into how physical movement truly uh, affects how you feel and thus affects how you see the world. And then finally... In the interface, I encourage people to have a creative outlet. And what is a creative outlet? What a creative a, a creative outlet is doing something where you use your imagination. You allow yourself to bring something to this material world from your head, from your brain, from your imagination into this uh, realm that we live in. And this can be anything from uh, painting a picture, uh, creating a sculpture, uh, to um, uh, actually creating a, a piece of software or uh, building uh, a table or a chair. Or um, I've, I've had people uh, do um, uh, little art, art projects with uh, their kids where they're doing arts and crafts and just putting something together that may uh, feel completely random. But this creative process allowing people to, one, uh, explore the things that they didn't know they were interested in, 
two, noticing their skill set in the process of creating. And three, realizing that every single one of us has a signature way of expressing ourselves, which is so unique that it cannot be replicated, at least not replicated to the full extent of how one does it. And this finding of one's signature style is very valuable. In fact, it's invaluable because um, you realize that if we just think about uh, what influences uh, an economy, uh, supply and demand, here, your supply, your signature style, there's only one. There's only one. That's you. And uh, if there is some demand for that one thing, that there's only one. It's a it's a fully limited edition offer. Uh, that 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 offering doesn't have a ceiling in its price. It's it's infinite. Thus, you are of infinite value. And this is something that you can find through creativity, and it's the beauty of the artistic expression. And when one has gone through these four practices, the basic meditation, breath work, journaling, moving, and creating, all of a sudden, one develops a completely new picture of themselves. And this new picture influences their emotional state, their relationship to their emotions. It allows them to influence their emotions because now through these practices, they have noticed that with the practice itself, they can guide their feelings and emotions to where they feel in alignment and ready to go. And in addition to that, it changes the way that they think, the way that they process information, the way that they're able to retain information, the way that they're able to um, uh, multitask, which is not doing uh, multiple things at once, but putting them in a sequence uh, of expressions that produce greater results. They, it allows people to uh, go into a, a flow state, which is now being fully reflexive, intuitive, and just doing without even trying. And it also allows them to uh, shift gears into doing with trying and doing with trying, evoking a new emotion and thus a new thought, a new state of being, and thus a new expression. And this becoming like this rudder that allows one to steer the ship that is their body in this physical world and engage with the software that runs this uh, vehicle and to realize that uh, the software that is the inner workings is something that is quite perfect. It is operating at a very high level and that it's all about upgrading the user and the user being you and the way that you interact with that software, and that the potential that you have is almost limitless. And that's the interface, and that's something that I am very excited about, and I am uh, currently working on sharing in different ways. I used to do it in a group format. Now I'm uh, guiding people one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, we hang out for a month, and we do an intensive and I, I make it unique to each individual because that which I shared here, uh, although you can take it, plug it, play it, and you will uh, get something uh, remarkable from it, 
I also believe that uh, there are layers upon layers upon layers. So when I work with people on an individual basis, that's what we're really doing. We're, we're, we're really trying to dig into the um, signature information that exists within one. And we allow that to uh, be extracted through the practices in a way that produces something very unique. Yeah, and that's what I'm excited about, and that's what I wanted to share with you. And I hope that some of the things that I shared in this session, you feel like you can translate into something practical. And if you're an athlete, if you are a coach, a teacher, an instructor, a trainer, I believe that learning uh, to interface with yourself will allow you to assist others in doing the same and will become not only a catalyst for change, but the foundation for change and specifically the change that's going to lead you where you want to go. And where you want to go is to getting a need met. And this is how I wrap up my interface sessions. And it's with this idea of communication, communication with oneself and communication with the world. And uh, realizing that communication is just a form of movement. And it's a form of movement that is based on two things, feelings and needs. Everybody has feelings and those feelings come up because there is a need that needs to get met. When you can identify what those feelings are, which are usually mental concepts that translate into a physiological expression, which we call an emotion, then you can guide them, use them, ride them like a wave, like I, I said earlier, to get the need that you uh, want met. And uh, one of the interesting parts about the simplicity of this is that uh, although uh, it's um, obvious when I say it, most of us are not aware of what needs are unmet and need to get met. So the practices of awareness that come from meditation, journaling, moving, and creating, first and foremost, are the, the, the practices that allow you to notice your needs, and specifically those needs that are unmet. And when you can do that for yourself, you can do that for others. And here, I like to uh, share this idea that uh, one of my mentors, Tom Reed, uh, shared with me and wrote a book about called uh, Task, uh, which is all about uh, performance-based communication. To use this acronym that is Task to um, uh, serve as a blueprint for understanding communication and it being based on certain values. And uh, I'll I'll run through this little framework with you right now, and it's very simple. It's T stands for treat people with dignity and respect at all times. Thus. In the process of interfacing with yourself, you need to treat yourself with dignity and respect at all times. And this is something that I catch myself doing often, which is I am highly critical of myself. I'm highly judgmental of myself. I treat myself sometimes very poorly. And when I can remember to lean into the T, the treating myself with respect and dignity, I start to feel a little bit better. The second uh, letter of this acronym is A, and A stands for assuming positive intent. Everybody operates with positive intent, even if they are doing things that may be uh, harmful or negative. They are doing it with the positive intent of getting a need met. It's just that sometimes that action of getting a need met is not healthy. And that's where learning to um, operate without the intention of causing harm is key. 
and to realize that whatever we're doing, um, once it's done, uh, whether it's produced a positive or a negative outcome, it always comes from a positive place. And that positive place is the one of meeting a need. And when we can see that in ourselves, we can begin to forgive ourselves. And when we can see that in others, we begin to forgive others. And thus we start to move towards each other and this allowing us to be a little bit more connected. The next letter on this in this acronym is S, and this is strengths and skills. Everybody has them. And this is where in the journaling, noticing that which you're skilled at, that which you're strong at, that which you're good at, is something that is very um, confidence-inducing. It gives you the evidence that says that, yes, I am capable. I can do this. And this leading to the last letter of task, which is K, which is keeping people empowered. Furthermore, keeping yourself empowered. And empowerment coming from a place of knowing that I can change, knowing that, that I can produce a better result, knowing that I am an ever-changing uh, individual, progressing and adapting individual. Thus, this is not the end. Thus, this too shall pass, and there can be a new outcome, a new expression, a new way. And this bringing the sense of hope and uh, self-mastery that I believe we all seek. And we seek for the reason of finding enough fulfillment that allows us to live with peace and enough dissatisfaction that it keeps us curious to continue to explore who we are in this world. And that, my friends, is the interface. And hopefully some of what I shared uh, is of use to you. And if it is, I would love to hear uh, what you got out of this podcast. And uh, if you practice any of that, which I've shared, what it has given you over time. So that being said, my friends, this was uh, the Freestyle Way podcast with yours truly, doing it solo. And uh, we'll be back next week with more. And uh, can't wait to share. So much love. And I'll talk to you soon. This is the Freestyle Way.